Good morning. Hope everybody's doing well. It is always a pleasure uh, and a privilege to come up here and uh, share the Word of God with you. Uh, we want to remember Craig and uh, Caroline and Ted and Tracy as they are on a trip celebrating their 20th wedding anniversary. It just so happens that uh, they both got married, not exactly in the same year. I think Craig's anniversary is more January and Ted's was September, so they kind of met in the middle and decided to go out to California for a little anniversary trip. So we need to remember them uh, as they are on a trip. We need to pray for them because they are in California. And so, um, and it just so happens that uh, Craig's favorite team, the Georgia Bulldogs, once about every 70 years or so, they end up in the Rose Bowl. So they have decided to, yeah, there you go. They have decided to go out there, and, uh, and they're going to go to the game tomorrow. So Craig said, look for him on TV. He's going to be the one wearing red. So <laughs> you just pot, spot him. And, and, uh, but we do need to remember them. It's good that they can get away and, and celebrate uh, being together for 20 years. Because if you've met either one, uh, Craig or Ted, uh, you know that's an accomplishment for Tracy and Caroline. Um, but, uh, but looking forward to today. Um, the, uh, the tie that I have on is not any affiliation with any football team. Uh, the orange, it's just my wife's favorite color is orange. So when I said, what tie should I wear? She said, wear the orange one. And I say, yes, ma'am. Um, so uh, good to be up here. Uh, glad, glad that y'all are here uh, as we celebrate this last day of 2017 uh, and look forward to 2018. Y'all pray with me. Father God, I do thank you uh, for who you are. Uh, I thank you for loving us. Uh, I thank you for this uh, privilege and opportunity to stand in front of the people of Ivy Creek Baptist Church to see what your scriptures have to tell us today. Lord, I do ask that you be with the words that come out of my mouth. May they glorify and honor you today. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so for the last couple of sermons, you got to hear a lot of statistics, and so I, uh, you know, getting to that, that scientific side of your brain. And so today I thought I would tap into that artistic side of your brain. And so I've got a poem for you uh, as, we, as we start out today. And so it's called, "'Twas the Day After Christmas." "'Twas the day after Christmas, and all through the house, every creature was hurting, even the mouse. The toys were all broken, their batteries dead. Santa passed out with some ice on his head. Wrapping and ribbons just covered the floor, while upstairs the family continued to store. I, in my t-shirt, new Nikes and jeans, went out into the kitchen and started to clean. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the sink to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash to open the curtains and throw up the, the sash. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but a little white truck with an oversized mirror. The driver was smiling so lively and grand, the patch on his jacket said U.S. Postman. With a handful of bills, he grinned like a fox, then quickly he stuffed them into our mailbox. Bill after bill after bill, still, they still came whistling and shouting as he called them by name. Now Dillard's, now Macy's, now Penny's and Sears. Here's to Kohl's and Target's and Best Buy's, all here. To the tip of your limit, 
every store, every mall. Now charge away, charge away, charge away all. He whooped and he whistled as he finished his work. He filled up the box and then turned with a jerk. He sprang to his truck. He drove down the road, driving much faster with just half a load. Then I heard him exclaim with great holiday cheer, Enjoy what you got. You'll be paying all year. <laughs> I would love to take credit for that. That was, that was not my creativity. I have the creativity of a stick. Um, but uh, from our friends at the World Wide Web called the Internet, um, author unknown. But isn't that the reality of it all? We spent this last month preparing for Christmas. Uh, our, our retail stores started back, I think, in September, putting out Christmas decorations. But uh, for us, our holiday season goes from that month between Thanksgiving and Christmas Day. And so we spent this time preparing. We've, we've pulled everything out of our attics to put on the house. We've, we've come up with these nice, pretty Christmas sweaters that we all love to wear. And we've, we've put them on uh, to get us in the Christmas spirit. We have eaten far more than we would ever eat any other time of the year, which makes those uh, New Year's resolutions to get in shape all that much, much more harder. And we have uh, opened and, and given out all the presents that we've bought. We've seen the joy on people's faces all this time in pre preparation for Christmas. We have seen, we've watched all the movies on both the Hallmark channels twice, because it seems like they've been running for about three times. Oh, there you go. Let me help you out for next year. Let me save you some time for next year. Um, she picks the good guy every time. <laughs> and you have to wait till the end. It's the last five minutes, but they kiss at the end every single time. Just wait. When they get together, they, they kiss at the end. And then... Spoiler alert, she's going to take the job in the small town rather than the very lucrative job in the big town. Everybody got that? So that's going to save you at least 60 hours next Christmas if we, just, if we just get all that on the table right now. No, but in all seriousness, a lot of times when I get to this time of the year or, or all, the, all the presents have been open. The food has been eaten, and you sit there that day, that either Christmas Day or the day after Christmas, and you're like, well, what do we do now? Because for this last month, our lives have been consumed with preparing for Christmas. And now that it has all happened, we're sitting there going, well, what happens next? Now, don't get me wrong. I love Christmas. I love the season of Christmas. I obviously love for what it represents, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and there's no greater joy that I have than watching my two little girls open their presents on Christmas. In fact, I was telling somebody in the first service that uh, Catherine loves to celebrate. Like, she, she will help you celebrate whatever occasion you want her to celebrate with you. It doesn't have to be for her. She just loves to celebrate. So she loves opening packages. She loves opening other people's packages. She is just all about it. And there is, there is a joy that comes with that that I love, absolutely love. But it's also during this time of the year that I do sit there and go, well, what now? 2017 is coming to a close, and there are some great things 
that God did in our lives and being able to reflect on those things. But also it's time to look to 2018. What's God going to do in 2018? What are some goals that I have as we, as we enter into this next season of life, this next year of our lives? And so today I hope that we, as we dive into uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, that we're able to, to apply what he says here into our lives and what it can bring to help us deepen our relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just for 2018, but for the rest of our lives. And so this past October, Danielle and I actually were able to celebrate our 10-year anniversary. So we're about 10 years behind uh, Craig and Ted. And, uh, and to celebrate such a happy occasion, we decided to go to the happiest place on earth, Walt Disney World. And as a lot of y'all know, I am a, a huge Disney fan. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to do as growing up and, and, and going to Disney so much, uh, I really wanted to take a behind-the-scenes tour. Because I don't know if y'all know it or not. Magic King, if you've ever been to Disney World, Magic Kingdom is actually on the second floor. You're actually, there, there's a whole uh, array of tunnels and places where people, uh, people get around the park. Cast members can get around the park by going through these tunnels, and then they come up on the other side. It's amazing. Uh, and part of that, just a little side note, doesn't have anything to do with sermon, but as a side note, uh, one day Walt Disney was walking through Disneyland, and he said he was walking through Tomorrowland, and he saw a cowboy. He's like, it ruins the fantasy if I see a cowboy in Tomorrowland or if I see an astronaut in, in Frontierland. So when he built Disney World, he said, we're going to build it where our cast members can get around without ever being seen. Uh, and, and, the, and all the different worlds. We don't want to ruin the fantasy for people. <coughs> so I wanted to see that. I wanted to see what those things were all about. And, and so we got onto this tour. And what we learned in this tour is that uh, Disney, and every single thing they do, they hang their thing on four keys. It's called keys to the kingdom. And these four keys are show, safety, courtesy, and efficiency. And everything that Disney does, whether they're training, uh, all of their training and everything that they do, hangs on these type of things, hangs on these four keys. And so today I thought we would walk through uh, this last uh, a couple of verses here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. There are some keys to help us have a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ in 2018. And like I said, not, has anything, not anything magical about 2018. I want these things to implement through the rest of of your days. Because I think if you focus on these keys, your 2018 is going to look a whole lot better than your 2017. Because our perspective is going to change if we make these things a part of our lives. So if you'll please uh, open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, open your Bibles or pull out your apps or turn on your phone. <coughs> 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Very short scripture today. It's in the middle of something that Paul's doing, his final closing out of his letter to the Thessalonians, which we'll get to in just a second. But it says, verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, these verses have been labeled the standing orders of the gospel. 
And the reason they've been called that is because these things stand for the Christian walk and, and apply to every believer in every situation, every time. And so if we really want to understand these verses, we really have to look at the background as to why they got here. What's the motivation for Paul for putting these specific words within the context of this letter? And so if we were to go back to the the history of the Scripture, uh, we're going to find that Paul wrote this during his second missionary journey. And so as Paul is walking along, or is traveling with Silas, Luke, and Timothy, uh, they're walking along and and they're actually wanting to go south from where they are. They want to take the gospel south. But God had different plans. And we're so glad that he did because what happens here on Paul's second missionary journey, because he can't go south, they go west. God directs them west. And it's because of that western movement that the gospel begins to, to go from going into Asia and, and staying in the Middle East to traveling westward towards Europe. And so it's because of these journeys that the, the gospel begins to go into Europe uh, and, and begins to spread to a worldwide religion. And so, um, and so they were not actually intending to ever go where they went, but God directed them to go that way. So it was, it was on this journey, uh, that, like I said, that this goes, starts spreading into the Europe. And so Paul, along with Silas, and eventually Timothy joined them, they were able to stay a while in Thessalonica as they were traveling. What Paul would do is tra- Paul would travel along, and as he came into a city, he would find the synagogue. And when he got there in the synagogue, he would preach or teach for three Sabbaths in a row. And by the time he got to that third Sabbath, the reason, par- probably part of the reason that he didn't go to the fourth is because they were ready to kill him by the time he got done with the third. But they were able to stay in Thessalonica for a while, even after these three times teaching in the synagogue because at that point they had started to have some converts and so they had to do something with those converts so they planted a church there in Thessalonica well as they go on and Paul is working and doing his occupation he's going along and and teaching and being a part of the church but it becomes detrimental to the church that he's there because these people still want to kill him so Paul decides to move on while still having this church there in Thessalonica. So they travel westward to Berea, where Timothy and Silas stayed, and then Paul went on to Athens. And so they kept moving along and going. And so once once Timothy and Silas joined Paul in Athens, Paul said, hey, I want to know what's going on in Thessalonica. We started that church there. Um, I really want to know what's going on. So he sent Timothy and Silas back to Thessalonica to see how everything was going. Well, by the time they get back to Paul, um, Timothy shares with him, hey, Paul, things are going great. Things in Thessalonica at the the Thessalonian church are going wonderful. And so Paul was so excited. Paul was so, uh, so excited about this news that he almost immediately sat down and began to write 1 Thessalonians, the first letter to the church at Thessalonica. And so it's under this context that we, that we see the purpose in Paul writing this letter. It's under this context that, that we see that Paul is excited from what he heard from Timothy, uh, as well as desire to continue in the teaching 
and the leading of that congregation, of that assembly of people. So he not only wants to celebrate with them, he also wants to teach them a little bit and help them understand the gospel just a little bit more. And so many believe that this was uh, his first epistle that he wrote. Uh, In the many letters that we have of Paul in the New Testament, this was the first one. And so because of that, we get a little bit more insight into Paul's beliefs and who Paul is. Uh, As you know, as you're starting to establish a connection with people, as you're starting to communicate with a group of people, you want to tell them a little bit about yourself. Uh, And they know a little bit about him, but in, in this correspondence that you're doing. And so we get a lot of his doctrine, and we get a lot of Paul's heart uh, within the, the pages of 1 Thessalonians. It is also under this context uh, that we find ourselves in the final chapter of this first letter of Paul's. Paul is overjoyed at the spiritual health of the church. So he is using this final chapter of the letter to give some instructions. This final salutations to say, hey... I want to celebrate with you, but also here's some things that I would love to see next time I come see you. Here's some things that I would love for you to do by the time I get back there. So that's what Paul's writing about. He's looking for ways to improve life within that assembly. Because as you know, as people come together and grow, things can happen. So he's trying to help teach them and lead them along the way. And as I was studying for this, and as I was studying about the background, there's a lot of similarities that we have here at Ivy Creek. We are a growing congregation. God is bringing people through our doors as well as us reaching out to them by us knocking on their doors. And we're healthy spiritually. We're healthy financially. And so I think there are some things that we can see some similarities within this context that I think we can apply to our lives. And also the lives of us as believers uh, in Jesus Christ. Like I said, many believe this is, these are the standing orders of the gospel, things that we should do every single day in every situation as we uh, grow our faith. And so as we dive into these verses, we must observe, uh, one of the first things that we'll see is, is how these verses are structured. Um, and it's the imperatives that make all the difference in the world. If we were to look back at the original Greek, Probably the better translation would be continually rejoice, continually pray, and continually give thanks. Now, isn't this the bigger part of the challenge? Now, I think we all can, we have no problem if the verses said rejoice sometimes or pray occasionally and give thanks whenever you feel like it. It's these modifiers, always, continually, and in all circumstances, It's really what kind of trips us up as we go along. And so let's look deeper at these keys to living out the gospel. (coughs) Uh, You'll find the the first point on your sermon. Rejoice always. Now the message tells us, be cheerful no matter what. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it as rejoice always. The New Living Translation says, be full of joy all the time. You know... And I know I'm not up here to give my personal opinion, but my personal opinion is that a lot of the, I think a lot of the reasons that people are not drawn to the church is because they don't see joy out of the church. They, they, they come across a lot of believers, a lot of followers of Jesus Christ that 
look so down in the dumps. They're like, why do I want to be a part of it? I got enough misery in my life. Yours doesn't look any better. I mean, I've met a lot of believers that uh, they're walking, as they're walking along in life, it looks like they're walking on broken glass, uh, traipsing through raw sewage. It looks terrible. They're having the worst day ever. I mean, look at what Luke 10, Luke 2.10 says. When the angels came to the shepherds, they say, we're bringing good news of great joy. The old hymn tells us, we have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. We have the power of the living God inside of us and has saved us. It has saved us from eternal death, has brought us from death into life. If that's not something to be joyous about, I'm not sure what is. So here's the deal. The gospel changes us from the inside out. It changes our heart. It changes who we are. Because of that, our joy does not depend on whether or not I have a job or a paycheck or how many likes my Facebook post gets. Much less does it depend on my health or state of my marriage or even how my children are doing. Even less does my joy depend on who is in the White House or if my bulldog can beat the Sooners tomorrow. Or how the stock market is doing. My joy is based on who is on the inside, not as, what, not as what's happening to me on the outside. If we get this backwards, it affects everything, especially our worship. The Expositor's Bible puts it like this. Let God be, the, be great in the assembly of his people. Let him be lifted up as he is revealed to us in Jesus Christ, and joy will fill our hearts. Joy comes from an appreciation of all that God has done for us. Let's live like it and rejoice always. Now, the second part of this, pray without ceasing. I think if we probably looked at these Three things, the uh, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. I think if we looked at those three, this one would probably be the hardest. Uh, this is the most difficult one to accomplish. The message says, pray all the time. What? Pray all the time? But Dave, I've got to drive to work. Talk about distracted driving. Try driving with your eyes closed. I've got things to do. I can't sit there and just be in deep prayer all the time. It's not what Paul's saying here. Yes, there are times where we need to get on our knees and we need to come before God and we need to ask for specific things. We need to pray for people specifically. But what Paul is talking about here is the attitude of our lives, the prayerful attitude of our lives. It's our, if we look at prayer in the broad sense of being part of our life, then our life itself ought to be a prayer offered to the Lord. It's the life we live that's offered to God. It's, that, it's out of that prayer 
is being in constant communication with God so that we don't have to keep dialing the phone to keep calling Him. It's always having that line of communication open. Uh, Danielle always makes fun of me, but I always use this, this, uh, this illustration. Is, it's kind of like if Danielle and I, uh, 10 years ago, when we stood before our friends, stood before God, committed our lives to each other through marriage, uh, if we went home that night, she went to her side of the house, I went to my side of the house, and we never talked, how good of a marriage would that be? It'd be terrible. We'd still be married. But it would be a terrible marriage because there would be absolutely no communication in there. Our relationship to God is similar. We make our commitment to God to live our lives, to give everything to Him. And then we send God to do His thing and we do our thing. And then we expect Him to just show up when we need something or we need Him to be there. It's imperative as we, as we look at praying always, pray without ceasing, that we have to keep those lines of communication open. Remember, we're trying to change our perspective of how we view things. We're trying to look at things from the inside out, not from the outside in. And like joy, it's easy to look at things around us and not want to, things around us and not want to pray if we let those outside circumstances affect us. It's easy to let those circumstances to get in the way of how we respond to God. But we also have to remember, if we feel distant from God, it's not, it's not God that moved. It's not God that's getting out of the way. We want to live our lives changed from the inside out. That means that outside circumstances do not affect our inside opportunities to connect with our living Savior. We have the Most High God living inside of us with a connection that never goes away. But we do have to run maintenance on the lines. We have to make sure that those lines stay open. We have to make sure that we are constantly communicating with our Savior God. So Dave, you're saying I need to pray to God as, I, as, I'm, as I'm in the post office? Do I need to pray to God as I'm, as I'm shopping? Yes. There is nothing we face, no duty too small, that would not be improved by our prayers. We are to pray consciously, deliberately, repeatedly, and persistently as we face each new challenge of every single day. If this seems like too much, try leaving God out of your life for one day. I'm sure the result will be frustration, irritation, a short temper, weariness, and discouragement. Or for a lot of you, one afternoon commuting up I-85 North during rush hour. Invite God into your daily agenda and you will find a peace and a sense of knowing that the sovereign Lord is guiding you and helping you along the way. See, it's like this. When we pray without ceasing, we have peace knowing God is leading us and we are not leading ourselves. We're leaving it up to somebody higher than us. 
The only way to cultivate a joyful attitude in times of trial is through incessant prayer. It's to constantly be communicating with uh, our Creator and our Sustainer of life. Now, number three, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks. That was easy, right? I thank God. God, thank you for getting me out of bed this morning. God, thank you that I could have breakfast this morning. Oh, wait. There's that in all circumstances. Ah, the qualifier gets us again. This is the part that trips us up. It's easy to give thanks when things are going well. God, thank you for my promotion today. I needed that. Dear Lord, thank you so much for giving us this beautiful new house. Sweet Jesus, thank you for giving me a wife that allows me to play golf whenever I want. Just thought I'd throw that in there. New Year's resolutions. Um, but what do we do when things aren't so great? Do we still praise Him? God, thank you for allowing me to lose my job today. Dear Lord, thank you for allowing my retirement account to lose 45% of its value today. Sweet Jesus, thank you for allowing my cancer to return. Those sound kind of funny, don't they? It is in those moments that we must remember that our God does not change and neither does His love for you change. The God that was with you before you had cancer is the exact same God that's with you on your diagnosis. And just as a little aside, this is, the, this is one of the many reasons I have a problem with what we call the prosperity gospel. Because the prosperity gospel tells you if God loves you, that He will give you all the stuff. He will prosper you. What happens when bad stuff happens? Does that mean He doesn't love you anymore? Absolutely not. The God that was with you before cancer is the same God that's with you during treatment. He does not change. He does not go away. So what do we do? Now I'll be the first to admit, especially with what our family has gone through over the last few years, that it's hard to make sense of God sometimes. As much as we try, we cannot trace God's hand in every circumstance. Because God paints on such a bigger canvas than our little eyes can see. We have this view. God has this view. And there's no way that we can take what this event in our life, how it's going to connect to other things. Now, my family and what we've, we've gone over through the last few years, we've been able to, to connect the things uh, that God has been doing. And it's awesome to see. And I don't use that term lightly. It is awesome to see. But it's so much larger than what our tiny little vision can see. How do we give thanks in times like these? How do we give thanks when our hearts are broken? How do we give thanks when we are angry at the things going on around us, at the things going on in our lives? Simply, 
We do it biblically. When our world seems to be falling apart, we give thanks. We give thanks that God is sovereign. We give thanks that nothing happens by chance. That God causes all things to work together for the good of His children. That hard times reveal our weakness. They break our pride and show us our total need for God. We give thanks because it shows that God has triumphed over sin and death through His Son, Jesus Christ. That God uses the worst that happens to promote our spiritual growth. That God is faithful even when we are faithless. That God's promises are true. That evil will not reign forever. That heaven is real. We give thanks when we are, that we are weak, He is strong. That His grace is sufficient for every situation. That nothing can separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ. We give thanks that our salvation rests in God and not of ourselves. We give thanks that God's plan far exceeds our puny imagination. That weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That we are still God's children even when our faith falters. That while we suffer outwardly, we are being renewed inwardly. We give thanks that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. That is what we give thanks in. Eugene Peterson, wrote, who wrote the message translation, uh, translated verse 18 like this. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you, wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. Stuff happens. Bad stuff happens. Really bad stuff happens to really good people. It's part of living in this fallen world. Because of this, we will never be able to continually give thanks without help from the Holy Spirit. If it were up to us alone... We would lead a life of bitterness and despair, but when God is a part of your life, when you allow God to change you from the inside out, then we rest on the rock of His sovereignty and nothing else. It is only on this rock that we can truly say, thank you, Lord, in every single circumstance. Now, don't get me wrong. I know this is not easy. But I also know that it is absolutely necessary. As hard as it may be to rejoice in times of trial, what's your alternative? What's your plan B? Are you ready to, get, to give in to despair and anger? By refusing to give thanks, we are virtually saying we know better than God how to run the universe. By giving thanks in tough times, we're proclaiming that God's wisdom is greater than ours. We're just giving it all to Him. The simple, but not very easy, act of giving thanks 
in times of sorrow and pain is a testimony worth far more than any amount of words that we can speak. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Paul wraps up these commands with a nice little bow. He says, um, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. People ask me all the time, What is God's will for my life? There it is. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And in everything, give thanks. As we wrap up today, think of it like this. The real impact of the gospel will be seen when we, will be seen when we don't feel joyful. When we don't want to pray and when we can't think of a reason to be thankful. It's in these times when we discover if our Christianity is the genuine article or if it's just a counterfeit. These three simple commands reveal the true life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It shows that we are truly changed from the inside out. When He comes into your life, He changes it from the inside out. So we have, we have both the power and the desire to pray and give thanks even in the worst moments of life. And so it all wraps up with a sermon and a sentence. No matter what happens in this coming year, whether good or bad, if we can still rejoice, still pray, and still give thanks, we are not only doing God's will for our lives, we're also giving light into this dark world. Y'all pray with me.